We are going through a series on what we've called the Christian way of life, but we're focusing on conformation versus transformation. And so we've looked at Romans 12, 1 and 2, and if you haven't been with us for a while or you just showed back up, uh, there are audio lessons on the church website that go all the way back to the beginning of this series, so you can look at it there if you want. But we've looked at this phrase, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In the last few lessons, we've been looking at the mind, and we've been looking at how the renovation process works, and we're going to start focusing more on the renovation part of that. Last week and the week before, I told you that if you're going to renovate your mind, you've got to change how you evaluate things, and that's a choice you have to make. So let's go through and get some review since we had a week off uh, through Thanksgiving, and we'll get going here. This is your brain, okay? There's in the brain and the mind. The brain is the biological cellular structure that data is put into. Your mind is what operates the brain. It's what thinks. So when we talk about your mind and renovating your mind, we're talking about changing your thought process, how you think about what you think about. Your, the word mind comes from the Greek word nous. That's why we're looking at it. When it says renovate your mind or the transformation by the renovation of your mind in Romans 12, 2, we're talking about your thought process, what you actively think. And we've identified a number of, of phases to the thought process itself. First, you get perception, and this is the ability you have to recognize information. This is data that comes into your sense, from your senses to your brain. Your brain organizes it, catalogs it, and you start to perceive or recognize this little bit of data coming in, and you start gathering information about it. Once you have enough information about what you're sensing and what's coming into your brain, you then have the ability to understand it. We call this comprehension. So phase one of the thought process is perception. Senses give you data, information that's raw. You don't know what it is yet. You're trying to figure it out still. Once you figure it out, that's comprehension, and that is the ability to understand information. Phase three, then, is evaluation. Now that you know what it is that you're perceiving and recognizing, now you have some sort of understanding about it, you can evaluate it in the role of giving it value in certain areas. To evaluate means to give value to something. When we go through like a, an evaluation, or for you guys maybe in high school, like a test or junior high test, what is being tested on your quiz or your test is whether or not you have the information from the subject you were just studying in your brain. The test is there to evaluate, to give a numbered score to, the, va to the, the information you have in your brain. So in essence, it's giving value to what you've learned. Have you learned all the material? Do you know it well? Do you only know 70% of it? How much of that material did you retain? When you evaluate something, you give it value. Now in our thought process, what we give value to is this new information that we've understood and comprehended. We can't evaluate something we don't understand yet. If we don't understand it, our brain says, I need more information. Kind of like in math when you get a word problem, and it says, which of, these, which of the following answers is correct? And it says A, B, C, and then D, and the last one is E, and it says not enough information to answer the question. Similar idea. When we don't have enough information, our brain says, we need to go through the senses, get more data from the senses. So phase three is evaluation. This is where you give value to what you've understood. Once you give value to something, now you choose how to use that information. This is the final step in that process. Once you make a determination, you're saying, I'm going to depend upon this information to be beneficial or not beneficial in my life, to be useful or not useful to me. 
When you choose that, it moves over to what the Bible calls the heart. This is the right side of your frontal lobe, the forehead part. The heart's from the Greek word cardia, and it refers to the place where you store your beliefs, your norms and standards, your morals. In your heart, you have a conscience. The conscience is the witness of your actions, and what it does is it compares your actions to the things that you say are right or wrong. Now, there's a difference between what you say is right or wrong and what God says is right and wrong. The goal as a believer in Christ is to match those things so that what God says is right or wrong is what we say is right or wrong. So this is, the conscience is the witness of your actions. It looks at your actions, observes your actions, and says, yes, your actions match what you think is right, or no, your actions do not match what you think is right. You also have your norms and standards. These are the morals, the things you think are right or wrong, and protocols, the processes you use in a given situation, but the morals and protocols that you depend upon. So if you have made a choice, next time someone asks you if they can copy your homework, you say, no, I'm going to choose it. it. Whoever it is, I don't care who it is, I'm going to say no. That's a protocol. You said, this is, when this situation arises, this is the process I'm going to go through. I'm going to say no. Sorry. That's protocol. The moral is, again, what you say is right or wrong. So your norms and standards are programmed by what you determine to give value to. If you give value to line, then you will say line is beneficial to you in some way. You may say line is right. You may know line is wrong, but still do it because it benefits you in some capacity. So the norms and standards are the morals, the, things, the list of things or the database of things you say are right or wrong. The protocols are the processes that you will choose to use in a given situation. Different process for different situation. You have a viewpoint. This is the frame of reference from which you view the world. This is where we brought out the cup a few weeks back. We brought out a paper cup, filled it with water, and I asked you the question, is the cup half full or half empty? What's the answer? It's all the way full, just different things. Some, some of the cup has water or liquid, some of the cup has air. So the way you view things dictates your perception. And we're going to see a little bit of that tonight as part of your filtration systems that we're going to look at in the mind. So this is the frame of reference. It's the angle or the reference point that you use to see the world from. Just like when you go to the map in the mall, it says you are here with a little star. Now you know where you're at. That's the frame of reference. It's a reference point for you to say, okay, because I know where I'm at, I can look on the map and see where I need to go to get to the store I'm trying to get to. You have a mentality in your heart. This is the mental attitude which affects your perception. A mental attitude is this... It's not a thought process. It's an attitude. <laughs> it's an attitude that changes how you see things. If you're upset or angry, you're going to see things differently than if you're happy or sad. It's just how it works. If your team is losing severely in a sporting match, you will probably start getting frustrated or upset. And then if you lose your mentality, you'll start focusing on all the things you're doing wrong, and you'll start actually causing more problems instead of focusing on the things you're supposed to do and should do to make the game better. Your mentality will make a difference in your sporting game match as far as how well you play. You've heard things like the game is 90% mental. If you have the right attitude, if you have the right thought process going into the game, you can outthink a player who is more skilled than you are, and you can beat them. That's why we like the underdog stories. All right, so th this is what we've looked at so far. We also then said there are two sources of information, the world system and revelation from God. 
Now we know that we're conformed by the world and to the world. The world pressures us to match what it wants us to look like. Revelation from God changes us from the inside to the outside. They place emphasis on different things. The world places emphasis on what's physical. God places emphasis on what's spiritual. The world establishes value, this is that evaluation part, based on your personal desire, based on what we call your lust pattern, which we'll explain in the next couple weeks and hit on a little bit tonight. Revelation from God establishes value based upon righteousness. God is righteous. Everything he says to do and says is right is in actuality right. It is righteous. It conforms to the standard of what is a perfect balance between every relationship that exists in comparison to one another. So they work differently. They place emphasis on different things, and they establish value based on different things. Now, obviously, if I'm looking to value whatever I want to value, then I'm going to want to operate from the world system. Because it says that what you want, what you desire, is the most important thing. Go get it. But if I want to do what's righteous, then I have to change how I'm valuing things. And I have to look at that from how God says and what God says is righteous. We looked at 1 John 4, 1, and identified two different spirits that work in the world. The spirit of God and the spirit of the Antichrist. The spirit of the Antichrist is trying to set up for a specific individual who will try and replace Jesus as the Messiah, but that can't be done. The Spirit of God is the work that God is doing through the, through the Holy Spirit as he leads each individual believer that is following God's will instead of their own will. So we've got those two distinct spirits working in the world, the Spirit of God and the Spirit of the Antichrist. One is a spirit of truth, absolute truth. One is a spirit of error. Uh, notice it doesn't say spirit of lie. The Bible calls it a spirit of error, and it means a departure from truth. It's not right but it may not look like it's completely opposite. It may look close. The Greek idea with the words that are used identifies that there is a proper path to take, but then there's also another path that's not the right one to take, but travels alongside of the other one. And that's the path of error, according to the Greek words used in 1 John 4, 1 through 6. The Spirit of God is the effect produced by the Holy Spirit, who is doing God's will through believers in Christ who are obedient to God in the right relationship with him. Think about the atmosphere of your family. When your brothers and sisters are obeying your parents, when your parents are lovingly leading you, and you are obeying your parents, and everyone is getting along. And we just had Thanksgiving. I'm not sure that that's the story for most of us. But that's a perfect time. You get people together, you have the chance to everyone get along and just have a good, fun, enjoyable time. Is that usually how it works out? Not always, huh? It depends on the attitudes of the people there. It really does. <clears throat> and so the, the idea behind if this spirit of God term is that everyone is working to accomplish the goal. And what's the goal? God's will. So the Holy Spirit is leading the believer who is following the, the Holy Spirit. The spirit of the Antichrist is the effect produced by Satan and company who are trying to do Satan's will, and Satan's will is to establish his kingdom over God's. They do that through the world system and deceiving it. So we've got those two spirits. Those, that's what we've looked at the last two weeks. Now, I've put, and you can hardly see it because of the word omnipotent and all-powerful up there, I've put for you, in the upper right corner of this slide, it says two sources of information. One, the world system, the spirit of error, or two, God's word, the spirit of truth. At any given moment, you are getting information from either the Word of God or this world system. What dictates or, or determines which one you're getting the information from? 
It matters if we look at Romans 12, 1. That dictates whether we're getting information from God through his word and the Holy Spirit's leadership or through this world. What does Paul say? He says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of the living God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. We have to present our bodies as a spiritually living sacrifice. And what we learned when we studied that passage was that that means that we have to first accept Christ to be our Savior in order to have spiritual birth, and then second, that we have to be in fellowship with God or in a right relationship with Him by having confessed our sins as we, as we accomplish them. God says, the line is wrong, we lie, we say, you know what, God, I lied, that's wrong, I agree, I did that. God says, okay, I restored you to a right relationship with me. You're in fellowship with me once more. If we don't walk in fellowship with God, we are only we only have the potential to be led by the, the world system. And not just the potential, but that's the reality. If we're not in fellowship with God, if we're not in a right relationship with God, then the only thing we're being led by is the world system. And the things that we give value to are the things that will guide us and lead us. But if we're in fellowship with him, then we're being led by God through the Holy Spirit and his word. This is the spirit of truth. So you've got those two sources of information. And the, the only distinction between the two it's not whether you're reading a book from the world or a book from or the Bible. That's not the distinction. It matters, and the only distinction that's made is whether or not you're in fellowship with him. The Holy Spirit brings to you what he needs you to understand and learn. Now, we're looking at the filtration systems of the thought process tonight of the news. We've got a number of them. I've listed five. Here's the first one, the conscience. A filtration system here is going back to that evaluation part over here. So that phase three in the mind, that right side of the board, the left frontal lobe, perception, comprehension, evaluation, this is where the filtration systems come to play. Once you understand the information, now you give value to them in some way. And the filters that we're going to talk about here help you give value to those things. And they do a different aspect. They each give a different part of value to what you're seeing and understanding. And one of them will be more dominant than the other at a different time. One will be the, most, the one you care about the most at a different, different time. Now, one was going to be more dominant than most naturally anyway, but one may speak louder to you than the other ones, and we'll look at that as we look at the filtration systems. So the filtration systems are what you use to filter the information through that you're receiving in order to give it value. And it's again, this is where we want to determine and change how we give things value. Here's the first one, the conscience. What was the conscience, remember? It's the witness to your actions as to whether or not they match your, your, your determination, your view of what's right or wrong. So your conscience will say, okay, we've got this information. Is this right according to me? Do I think this is right? Do I think this is wrong? And it will give value to that information you have based upon whether you think it is right or wrong, morally correct or morally wrong. So it will give value based on morality whether it's right or wrong. Your viewpoint, your, the way you see things, will help determine value as well. So your viewpoint will give value based upon your perspective. And your perspective changes. If you climb to the top of a mountain and look down, you're going to have a whole different perspective than if you're at the bottom of the mountain looking up. Now that's a very simple example, but when you're in math class versus science class versus at home doing homework versus at home playing video games, you have a different perspective how you view things. Again, this is your frame of reference that you view things from. 
So the viewpoint gives value based on perspective. So it filters the information and says, how do I see this? The third one is emotion. This is not one of the things we've listed out yet. Your emotions are designed to respond to your situations. When your conscience on the right frontal lobe sees your actions or sees someone else's actions and it says, hey, that's right or that's wrong, what it does is it sends a signal through your body that actually secretes different emotions and hormones in your body. And different biochemicals come out and it makes you feel sad or happy or frustrated or angered or whatever depending on how you've determined to view that situation. And so your emotions respond to your situation and whether what's going on is right or wrong. So they work with your conscience. They work with your list of what's right or wrong. And based upon that, your emotions are established. Now, emotions are a good thing. I'm going to go off script here a second. Emotions are a good thing but they can be used wrongly. If you're angry about something that someone did to you and you go punch them in the face, you're letting your anger determine what you're going to do. That's a wrong way to use it. Why? Because emotions are designed to respond to your situations, not determine new ones. They're not designed for you to initiate action from or to be led by. They respond to what's going on. What we have to do as we grow and, and learn more, both as humans and as believers in Christ, is we have to learn to recognize our emotion but not let it dictate to us what we're going to do. You may be angry and want to beat someone up, but that's not the right thing to do, is it? So you can't let your emotions lead you. And the instant your emotions start leading you, it messes up entirely how you were designed to operate. Our emotions are designed to respond to our situations, not to put us into new ones. Your emotion gives value based upon appreciation. Whether or not the situation you're in is something that you agree with or like according to your, your conscience. So your emotions see the situation. They say, I don't like this. I'm sad. This frustrates me. I'm upset. I'm angry. I'm happy. Whatever it is. That's one of your filtration systems. The fourth one on the list, this is your lust pattern. This one will be the most dominant when you are out of fellowship. Your lust pattern is that specific pattern of desire that you have towards either satisfying how you feel internally, towards making yourself the most important thing in your thought process, or important person in your thought process, or to making stuff the most important thing in your process, thought process. We looked at this for 1 John 2, 15 a while back. We'll get into this probably next week as well. But your lust pattern, each of us has a specific desire for satisfying how we feel, making ourselves feel good, for, or for making ourselves the most important person in our thought process. We think about what we want, what we like first, or we think about stuff as the most important thing. So it's either that you either give value the most to how you feel, to you as a person, or to stuff. Those are the three options in this world system. The Bible says in 1 John 2, 16, for all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from God, but is from the world. Those are the things that dominate our lust pattern. All three will be a part of your life, but one will be the most dominant. We will look at that more in depth because this is the most critical filtration system for us. And what this lust pattern does, what this filtration system does, is it gives value to what the information we're getting based upon 
our specific desire. If it's towards satisfying your flesh, then you'll give, give value to it based upon how it makes you feel. If it's towards ego, you'll give value to it based upon how important it makes you or how it gives value to you. And if it's materialism or stuff, then you'll give value to something based upon its ability to acquire material objects. So your lust pattern is a filtration system. Again, all the information you get goes through these filtration systems. And here's the last one we're going to talk about this evening, mentality. This is that mental attitude. Your mentality filters the information. Let's go back to, let's say, the volleyball court. We s we're just doing things sports, but let's go to the volleyball court. We do have a lot of volleyball players in here, so this may work out forever for us. You're on the volleyball court. You made three good serves in a row, and then you hit the net. Okay, no big deal. Side out, ball goes to the other team. First serve over from the other team, it goes right to you, and it bounces off one of your arms, doesn't hit both of them, and goes out. What starts happening? Start building frustration. Start getting maybe embarrassed, bothered, annoyed. Number of different feelings and emotions start coming up about how you're performing, or about how you're making the team look, or about your ability to play the game in that moment. So you've got these two things that have now gone wrong. You've hit the net with a serve, and you've shanked a pass off one of your arms. Your mentality starts to change. What's going to fix your ability to do well in that game at that point? You make two mistakes. What do you need to do to change your, keep your mentality from dropping? You know you're a better player than that. Shake it off. Oh, that one got me. I move on. I focus. I'll just make sure I focus on my hit or my bump next time. You, you determine and make a forceful choice to change it. If you don't, then let's say the ball goes to one of your other players, and they mishit it. Now you start getting frustrated more. And now you start taking it out on them, even though it started originally with you and your frustration towards you. So your mentality starts changing, and everything that happens in that game, you start to determine whether it's good or bad in that game based upon your attitude. I'm frustrated. Oh, they got another point. I can't believe it. Oh, they made a great play. I can't believe it. Our mentality makes a difference here, too. It's how we filter information. So here, we'll put this into our big diagram here. Our filtration systems come in, into that area where we're in, in phase three, the evaluation phase. Every single one of these filtration systems is at work in the information we receive. They're all offering their bits of information or bits of value to what we're learning and what's coming into our thought process. Is it right? Is it beneficial from your perspective? Do your emotions like it? Does your lust pattern agree? Does your mental attitude give value to it or appreciate it? All these things will will help you make that final determination. Now, there are some things that aren't supposed to help us in that. And we'll look at that next week, starting, starting with the lust pattern. But what we're looking at and trying to get at, our ultimate study here on the renovation of the mind, is that we need to understand that our information comes from two different sources, God's word or the world. That's it. It comes from God or it comes from this world. If it's not coming from God, then it's coming from the world. And if it's not coming from the world, then it's coming from God. We perceive and recognize information. Then we, once we start to put that information together, we comprehend it. Now we have to evaluate it, and we have to use those evaluation systems to do that. Each evaluation system functions a little bit differently and gives value on a different aspect of that information. 
Once we say, okay, this is the value that we're going to go with, we say this is beneficial in this way, oh, my conscience says this is wrong, so I'm not going to do it. I'm going to let my conscience determine the value for me. So I choose not to lie or steal now. Then you make a determination, it goes over to the right side, where it matches in your conscience and your norms and standards. So filtration systems matter. We're looking at how we determine value. What do we think is beneficial at different times? What do we think is valuable to us in different times? Once you start looking at this, look at what is filtering that information, and you'll start to see a pattern that, e that emerges. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and its ability to teach into us truth. We ask, Lord, as we evaluate this information, that you would be the ultimate filtration system, that we would start to make determinations based not upon how we like the information or how it makes us feel, or any of the other filtration systems that we are using, but that we would let you determine the value for each thing, that we base it off of righteousness instead of our own perspective. Thank you for loving us, for protecting us, and taking care of us. May we recognize more about who you are this week. In Jesus' name, amen.